Take a seat. Thank you. Are you all well? Uh, when Pastor Tart mentioned I had five more minutes, I was so tempted to go and get a coffee. <laughs> so, so, so tempted. Because if you heard the saying that water is only coffee that hasn't reached its potential. <laughs> Doesn't quite have the same impact upon you, does it? Great. But really, really great to be back with you again, and I really appreciate the friendship I have with your pastor, and it's always a great honor to speak in this church as well. I re- realize that you have world-class speakers, and so I'm always surprised and honored to, to be here. So I look forward to sharing God's Word with you today, and I've got something burning in my heart, and it's not just my breakfast this morning, but it's a Word that God has placed inside of there. Also, I encourage you to come, come back tonight as well. I've, I've got a message that's probably been in my heart really heavy all week. And it's a hard-hitting message with some great stories. But the important thing is the message tonight is impacting. And I believe that if you can really hear and grasp what is being said, it will change your life, it will change your church in Jesus' name. So there's nothing on television. I've had a look. It's boring. Uh, I encourage you to come. It's going to be a great night, night together. Okay, just, just before, I've got a mint in my mouth. I just realized I had a mint in my mouth. I don't know what to do with it now. It's gone. I've been delivered. Okay, it's just <laughs> it's all gone. Have you ever, ever done that? You ever, have you ever done that? You've been preaching away and you realize there's a mint in You've never done that. That's right. You're too holy, that course. <laughs> uh, just before I bring the word this morning, just to mention, uh, I have a book called Fear Proof. I did bring it last year, but it sold out in the first service. So I brought a lot more this year as well. Called Fear Proof. And it has a look at the most common thing that God says in the Bible. The most common command in Scripture is, do not be afraid. So I have a look at 20 people in the Old Testament to whom God said, you do not need to be afraid. Because I wanted to find out why, how, how it is possible to overcome uh, the suffocating effect of fear. Uh, God knows that we have this propensity to wither whenever we're faced with circumstances we don't understand or cause us anxiety. But for us to break through, we need to overcome the power of fear. So this has a look in Scripture at what we need to do to overcome the debilitating, suffocating, asphyxiating power of fear. So if you've got some unnatural fears in your life, some unfounded things, I encourage you to get the Word of God into you. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I wouldn't see, even see me for counseling. So, but this is a Bible study. And I believe as you just have a look at the, word, the words of God, the Word of God, it'll impact you. It's $15, which is quite cheap, I think, in New Zealand. I was just told by Sam. And so you're welcome to have a look at the end of the service. Okay, I want to turn your attention to a well-known story in the Scripture, which is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. And in a couple of moments, I'll be reading to you the story that's found in verses 7 to 16. 1 Kings chapter 17. In a couple of moments, I'll be reading to you from verses 7 to 16. It'll be on the screen as well in a moment. Here it comes. There it is. Now, as you know, as, as your pastor just said, in a few weeks' time, you're taking up your, what you call your faith promise offering. When, you, when you're saying, Lord, above what we are normally giving, we are believing you for this amount of money that we can invest in the global mission of Church Unlimited. How many know that you're one of the few churches that I know in the world that is a genuinely what, what I call global vision, which is when you've got a local vision 
and a global vision. You are called to impact nations. And I believe that God is going to open doors to nations you haven't even envisaged at the moment. And you'll impact them from the top, top echelons all the way down to see the poor just lifting their standards of life. I believe that. One of the reasons I believe that God has linked me with your pastor uh, is because we share the same heart for the nations of the world. But that costs money. And I believe that God wants to do something in this place that just releases such finance to do amazing things across the nations of the world. And that is what the story is all about. As Christian people, we believe that the God of the Bible is a miracle-working God. We believe that nothing is impossible to Him. We absolutely believe that what is impossible with humans is possible with our God. Now, if that is true, can you believe that we can live beyond the possible? And that's the title of my message this morning, Living Beyond the Possible. And in today's message, I want to focus on how we can live beyond the possible financially. Or maybe I should change the title to Giving Beyond the Possible, being able to do beyond what we're currently unable to do. And I want to say this morning, this message to me is not just a sermon. This has become my life. Eight or nine years ago, I was pastoring a very large church, and I was remunerated well, and it was great. And I was always awkward and felt ill-equipped to talk about money or fundraising or giving. I never used to preach about this. But then God, in his irony and humor, has this great way of repositioning your life so that now I serve in a mission agency where I'm completely dependent upon raising money to live and completely dependent upon money to do what we do in the developing world. God has this great sense of humor, doesn't he? Uh, Like that. So this is more than just a sermon to me. This has become my life. But how is it possible that we can live and give beyond the possible? I would suggest that there are two different components. On the one hand, there is responsible stewardship. And on the other hand, there is obedient sacrificial giving. Both of those contribute to us being able to live and to give beyond the possible. Uh, Our responsible stewardship is things like this. It's when we plan and we plan and we use our money responsibly for things like our budget reducing our debt, giving on a regular basis, living within our means, using any discretionary money wisely and investing wherever possible. That is responsible stewardship, doing what we can with what we have. But what I want to focus on today is the other aspect, which is obedient, sacrificial giving, which is doing what God is telling you to do, what God is putting upon your heart, because that is the thing that brings about great release inside of our life. And that's what the story is all about. Allow me to read it to you from verse number seven that says, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came, came to him, that is Elijah, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. And so he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called out and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's a bad day. And Elijah said to her, don't 
be afraid, but go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. What a powerful story. The background of the story is that at this time, King Ahab was in power, and he was a weak-willed, wicked, godless king, and he was leading the nation down the path of the worship of Baal, a Phoenician deity. And so there was this incredible spiritual clash in the nation between the worship of the Lord and the worship of Baal. And in chapter 17, Elijah received a word and he went to Ahab and said, there's going to be no more rain in this land until I tell you it is going to come. Elijah was then commanded to go and hide at the Kerith Ravine, presumably because Ahab was going to kill him. And Kerith was on the other side of the Jordan, not far from Jericho. And God commanded ravens to feed him with bread and meat. And that's, that's where we come to our text in verse number 7, where it says, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, please remember, God had told him to go to that particular brook. So he's at the right place in the right time. He's in the will of God. Nevertheless, it reads, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So the effect of the drought that he himself had prophesied began to affect him personally. He had survived the implied threat from Ahab, but now he was faced with the threat of dehydration and starvation. He was in the right place at the right time, and the brook had dried up. And by the way, friends, if things are pretty tough for you at the moment, that doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God. Maybe what God wants to do is reposition you and recalibrate you to get you ready for miraculous intervention inside of your life. So the Lord said in verse number nine, I want you to go to Zarephath and notice this, I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So God told him, go to Zarephath, it's near Sidon. I've got a lady who's waiting for you. And we're going to look at this story today from the perspective of this dear lady because God had chosen her to supply the needs of Elijah and ironically through that, God was going to use Elijah to see a miraculous release inside of her own life. So let's have a look at what we can learn about obedience giving. Number one is this. The first thing we learn is that we must not fear going without if we give to God. Number one, don't fear going without if you give to God. So Elijah arrives at Zarephath and he sees the lady that God has spoken to him about and he calls out for water and while she's going away to get water, he says, and bring me please a piece of bread. Now, initially, it seemed like he was presuming on her. But remember, God had given him a word that there was going to be a widow who was going to supply his, his need. But what seemed like a casual, logical request for anybody else 
was a devastating reminder to her that she was going to die. She had run out of all resources. She she simply couldn't do what Elijah was asking her to do. And in verse 12, she said, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in the jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for my son that we may eat it and die. Or in other words, man of God, don't you realize I have nothing to give you? I'm at the end of my my resources. I'm at the end of myself. This lady was going to make one last meal and then she expected that she was going to die. But listen to what Elijah said. Do not be afraid, but go home and do as you have said. Don't be afraid. And sometimes many people don't give to God or give to missions or give, give, give to the church because they, like this lady, fear that if they give, then they're going to have nothing left. If they give what they have, then they're going to have nothing left. But what we're going to see in this account is when you do what God is putting in your heart to do, it becomes a catalyst for a release of unending supply inside of our lives. That the principle of obedient giving to God is God's way of supplying our needs and what we need to do it do is subdue the power of fear that's at work in our minds and in our hearts that reasons with us and says you are going to have less if you give to God because when you do what God is telling you to do you come out from the jurisdiction of natural law and you come under the jurisdiction of divine law when you do what God is telling you to do in obedience to a specific word from God you are coming out of the limitations and restrictions of mathematics and science and you are coming under the miraculous dimension of the living God where he is able to take the little that you have and he is able to multiply it to you in in Jesus' name. For example, they once brought Jesus five loaves of bread and two fish, and Jesus took that and he multiplied it and he multiplied it and he multiplied it and he fed 5,000 people because there is no limit to our great God. When you do what God is telling you to do, something happens inside of your heart. Therefore, we do not need to be afraid. Here's an example of that. When you think about a great big aeroplane. Sometimes they can weigh hundreds and thousands of tons. And there's a thing in this world called the law of gravity. And the law of gravity is very powerful. Everything that goes up must come down. It holds us down. And it's a powerful law. But there is another law called the law of aerodynamics, which is when you get a big plane and you give it some propulsion and it hurdles down the runway. And at some point it reaches a velocity where the air pressure going over the top of the wings is less than the air pressure going under the wings and you get this thing called lift and the airplane begins to soar and begin to rise and the grasp of gravity can't keep its hold upon it because another law has come into place that has caused that airplane to rise and in the same way when you do what God is telling you to do when you obey him you are propelled you are catapulted out of the natural laws of this world that say one minus one equals zero when you do what God is telling you to do you are lifted into a greater dimension, a different jurisdiction, where you are brought into the jurisdiction of the miraculous power of God. 
Therefore, what we need to do today is not be afraid and overcome the suffocating effect of fear and do what God is putting inside of our heart to do. If we are to be positioned for the miraculous, let's obey Him by subduing fear. Number two, a second thing I see in this passage about obedient giving, number two is this, that we must put God's work before our own needs. To put God's work before our own needs. Now when you first say those words, you get some people that prickle in their seat because it seems so countercultural. because our culture is all about give me, give me, give me, I want, I want, I want, me, 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 I, I, I. But after Elijah had told her not to fear, he then said in verse number 13, but first make a small cake of bread for me. So as she was going away, he said, but first, before you do anything else, make a small cake of bread for me. Why would God ask a poor, starving widow to put somebody else's needs before her own? This is why. Because God so loved her. God so saw her heart. God wanted to miraculously intervene in her life. So he wanted her to do an action that would become a catalyst for the miraculous being released inside of her heart. When God asks you to do something as an act of obedience, he's doing it because he loves you. He wants to release you into something new. He wants to bless you on an unprecedented scale. He wants to do something new inside of of you. This lady supplied the needs of one of Israel's most prominent and powerful prophets. She was going to enable and energize God's very mouthpiece to, to, to the nation. And as she was giving to him, she was using her resources to do something of transcendent, eternal value. But what she had to do was put God first, and then God would take care of her needs as well. Am I asking you today to give it all away for the kingdom of God? No, that would be irresponsible and negligent of your responsibilities. What I am asking you to do today is to do what God is putting in your heart to do, even if that means reprioritizing some of the things that you've allocated finances for, that you would say today, God, you are speaking to me, and I make a determination, I'm going to put you and your kingdom first. Let me give you an example. There's a little boy on his way to Sunday school, and his mother said, here's two $1 coins. This coin is for you to put into the offering at Sunday school, but this coin is for you to buy some lollies on the way home. So the little boy went off to Sunday school, and on his way, he's walking along, and he trips over. And to brace his fall, he has to let go of the coins. And the two coins go over towards a drain. And so he scurries and he dives and he just manages to get his fingertips on one of the coins. But to his horror, the other coin went plonk down the drain and he couldn't get it. And he looked at that coin and he looked up at God. He looked at that coin and he looked up at God. And finally he said, I'm sorry, God, but that was your coin that went down the drain. And I would suggest that sometimes we are exactly the same. We go, oh, I'm sorry, God, but that was your money I spent on the new iPad because you know I need to have the latest gizmo. God, you just know that. Oh, God, it was your money. I'm sorry. I needed to have a holiday on the Gold Coast. I just needed to get away, God. You, you, you know all that. 
I want to urge you today in Jesus' name, if we are to be obedient to what God is telling us to do, there are some times when we have to put God's work before our own needs, when we don't just think about ourselves, but we are giving to others as well. Number three, a third thing I see in this passage about how we can position ourselves in in obedience is this, to give from what you already have. To give from what you already have. So Elijah just told her she doesn't need to fear. And then he's told her to put God first. But then in the second part of verse number 13 it reads, But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have. From what, what you have. So Elijah instructed her to take from what she already had, had, but to prioritize it for the Lord. Elijah was not asking her to feed a whole village. Elijah was not asking her to buy him the latest model chariot. But God wanted her to start with what she had. And for this widow, the making of one small cake of bread took all the faith that she had. But that was all that was needed to release an unprecedented supply to her own own life. But I hear many people say, Oh, if I had, I would give. And when I have a million dollars, I'm going to give half a million to, 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 to missions. Or when my investment yields, I'm going to give a high percentage of that investment to the Lord. And some people say that in the hope that God will bless their business or bless their investment before they give to God. And as long as it's in the abstract, it's so easy to say, Oh, God, I just want to give you my all. As long as it's in the abstract. But if we can't give the $5 that's already in our pocket, then why would God ever trust us with a million dollars? God doesn't want what we do not have. And actually, uh, God's not really concerned about the amount. What God is concerned about is the heart. And if you're really hearing me today, this is not about money. This is about our hearts. It's about being obedient to God. God doesn't want our money. God owns everything. But what God does want is our heart. And sometimes he will ask us to do something as an act of obedience because he wants to show us what's inside of our heart. For example, many years ago, back in the 1970s, when it was black and white, my, my father was the national evangelist of, of our movement. And he was preaching in North Queensland, and he'd been up there for weeks. And at the end of all of these, these meetings, the five weeks of meetings, the pastor gave him some remuneration to cover his costs, and the pastor gave him $5. $5 for five weeks' work. And my dad got in the car and he was having a whinge to God. You know, he's grumbling to God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Philip, if you keep money out of your heart, I will keep it in your pocket. If you keep money out of your heart, I will keep it in, in your pocket. God cares about our heart. About five, five years ago, I preached in Nairobi, Kenya for the very first time. And I was at a really big church, and they had a choir that was phenomenal. It sounded like a heavenly choir. I've come to the conclusion that the choirs in heaven are going to be Africans. It was just absolutely incredible. And I'm standing on the front row, and I'm about to preach, and I feel like I'm in the Spirit. I can feel God's presence so tangibly upon my life. And I'm calling out just to get some absolute clarity on what I'm about 
about to say. And as I'm standing there, about to preach, calling out to God, what do you want me to say, Lord? The Holy Spirit said, give your watch to the pastor. Now, the watch was a gold Tissot watch that I'd been given as a thank you present from big ministry that I'd been leading in the 1990s. And I loved this watch. I loved getting compliments about this watch. I loved wearing this watch. I felt good having this watch on my wrist. And the Holy Spirit said, give your watch to the pastor. And I said, no way. I, I like this watch, and I'm having an argument with God because I know that the Spirit has spoken. I know His voice, and He's telling me to give, give my watch away. And I'm going, no, I don't want to give my watch away. It was a thank you present. I was serving you. Why would you want you to give away the thing that you had given to me? And I'm, I'm arguing with God, and then I'm trying to rationalize it. Maybe it's like Abraham. I need to have the knife up, willing to sacrifice it, but I don't have to do it. And that, that one didn't work. And then I tried the one about well God I need to talk to my wife because she was part of it as well and I went up to preach and halfway through through the sermon I heard myself say you could be one step of obedience away from the greatest breakthrough that you have ever seen and at that moment it's like the spirit was preaching to me you could be one step of obedience away from the greatest breakthrough. And I got down, and I wish I could say to you today that I got down off the platform and I walked up to that pastor and I took that, that, that watch off my wrist and gave it to him. But no, later that day, I got on a Qatar Airways plane from Nairobi to Doha with my gold watch firmly on my wrist. And I got home, and I thought Fiona would be understanding. And I said, this is what God, God said. And she said, unsympathetically, she said, it's only a watch. You should have done what God told you. And then from that moment, I hated that watch. And I don't trust the African Postal Service, so I wasn't going to post it to the pastor. So I had to wait six months before I went back there, had it wrapped up with the guarantees, and I gave it to him. And it was a great thing to get it released. And then I bought a $10 copy watch from Kuala Lumpur and wore that for a couple of years as well. What's, what's my point here today? Why did God ask me to, gi to give, give away that watch? Why? Because that watch was in my heart. The very, the very reason I, I, you know, I lifted my fist, no, I don't want to give it away, showed it was in my heart. And there will come times when God will ask you to do something because he wants to know the condition of your heart. And I pray today that we would put God before ourselves and that we would give from what we already have. I want to urge you today in the name of Jesus, if you're believing for a breakthrough, don't wait for the breakthrough to come before you give, but give from what you already have. There's a wonderful scripture in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 2 and 3, where Paul was commending the Macedonian churches, who he said, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich, in, in rich generosity. He said, for I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their own, own ability. Number four. How can we really experience a breakthrough in terms of obedient giving? Number four, believe in the promises of God in regard to the grace of giving. 
Number four, to believe in the promises of God in regard to the grace of giving. So Elijah was just told her, don't be afraid. He's told her to put God first. He's told her uh, to give from what she has. But then he said, verse number 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Oh, I love this. She's got nothing. But God says, this is what I am saying. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord brings rain on the land. Elijah gave this widow a very distinct promise that if she did what God was telling her to do, he would supply all of her needs. He would bring about a miraculous result inside of her life. Similar Similarly, we need to embrace and we need to believe the teaching of Scripture in regard to things like tithing and sowing and reaping and obedient giving and giving sacrificially in Jesus' name. We need to build our lives upon the principles and the promises of God's Word. I want to ask you today, is it true or is it not? Is it real or is it unreal? Is, is it a reality? Then if it is, I encourage you today, if you want to live beyond the possible, believe what God says is true. And let me say again, this is not just a sermon to me. This has been my life. And sometimes in our current context, it's so hard to give. And God puts things upon our heart. And I'm holding on to my money so tight, I'm making the queen cry. But he's saying to me, I want, I want, want you to give. And I've got to believe those promises and believe those scriptures and do them. Promises light like these. Proverbs 11, verse number 25 that says, A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 9, A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6, Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I believe this is true. And if we are to see a miraculous result, let's obey the word of the Lord. Number five. A fifth principle I see in this passage about how we can live beyond the possible is to be obedient in giving, or in brackets, follow through. To be obedient in giving and to follow through. So this widow has believed the word of the Lord, and verse number 15 says, She went away and did as Elijah had told her. Oh, that's powerful. Now remember, this lady is hungry. She's got food for one last meal. She's got no visible empirical evidence that things are going to be any different, but she obeyed the Lord. She did what God told her to do, even though it didn't make any sense at all. She obeyed the Lord in the same way. I want to encourage you today in Jesus' name, obey him obey him, obey him. Whatever he's putting in your heart to do, obey him. In two weeks' time, you have that faith promise offering, and I want to encourage you, obey him, because you could be one step closer to a great breakthrough. And I believe that God wants to do amazing things in our life. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 11, where Paul said, Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your own means. And as she did what God told her to do, something happened. Listen, listen to this. Verse 15. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Obedience 
unlocked the miraculous. Obedience unlocked divine provision. Obedience unlocked the supernatural in her own life. And I believe that for you, friends, in Jesus' name. As you do what God is putting in your heart to do, you are positioning yourself for the miraculous in your life. Because when you give in obedience, you are sowing a seed. And there's a principle in Scripture called seed time and harvest. Genesis 8, verse number 22. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And when you plant a seed, you will reap a harvest. Last point, number six. What what can we learn from this story about obedient giving to God? The last thing is this, that obedient giving produces a miraculous harvest. Obedient giving produces a miraculous harvest. As I mentioned before, when she did what God told her to do, there was food for her every day. But that wasn't the end of the story. A little bit later, her son died. And she went to Elijah and said, Why have you brought misery upon me? And then Elijah picked up the little boy, carried him upstairs and laid upon him and called out to God three times. Oh, God, do something. And verse number 22 says, And the boy's life returned to him. There was a miracle in her life. And arguably, if this lady had not done what God had told her to do, then Elijah would not have been in her home and she would, would have not not only been widowed, but she would have lost her son as well. But because she was obedient, the miracle working power of God that was there in the person of Elijah was there and miracles came into her life. Not only was there a miracle provision of food, but there was the miracle of the resurrection of her son as well. And then even further, this lady met Elijah's needs for three years, nearly three years And at the end of three years, the word of the Lord came to Elijah again. Elijah, go to Mount Carmel. And Elijah went to Mount Carmel and he confronted the prophets of Baal and he called down fire upon the waterlogged sacrifice. And when there was a display of divine power, the whole nation turned to the Lord. It was one of the greatest revivals and spiritual awakenings that the nation had ever known. And this lady for three years had been making her faith promise giving. For three years she had just been giving to missions and sowing. And then one day the word of the Lord came and God released Elijah to go and display the power of God. This lady's obedient sacrificial giving contributed to one of the greatest revivals the nation had ever known. This message is not about giving. This message is about mission. It's about revival. It's about nations. It's about the call of this church. I'm urging you today to realize that God's calling you to be obedient because he wants to reposition you and use this church to impact nations in Jesus' name. I don't know about you. I want to give beyond what is possible so that God can use the resources he's entrusted to me for his kingdom. I want to steward whatever God has entrusted to me because I want to be part of what God is doing in the nations of the world. In in conclusion, how can we live? How can we give beyond the possible? With two two different things. 
On the one hand, there is responsible stewardship, which is the planned and wise use of the resources that, that we have. But the other aspect is obedient giving to God. When we do what God is putting in our heart to do, and I want to urge you when you're making your pledge today or next week or the week after, that you will do what God is putting inside of your heart, heart, heart to do. In summary, We've had a look at six principles for how we can live and give beyond the possible. We have seen that, that, that we must not fear, but subdue the fear that says, hey, if you give to God, you are going to have less. That fear is not from God. I want to encourage you to do what God is putting in your heart to do. We have seen that we need to put God's work before our own needs, that when God puts something inside of our heart, sometimes we need to reprioritize things to say, Lord, there's an opportunity here. I want to be part of this opportunity in Jesus' name. Thirdly, that we would give from what we already have. Number four, to to believe, to believe what God says is true in regard to his promises. Number five, to be obedient and to follow through. And number six, to realize that our giving has got an eternal value. Our giving can have a miraculous result inside of our own life. And I don't know about you, I want to live a blessed life. I want to know the favor of God upon my life in Jesus' name. So I'm encouraging you to believe for extraordinary things. Would you mind standing with me, please, today? Sorry to wake you, but if you wouldn't mind standing. Because <laughs> remember in church, you only sit down in between standing up It anyway. Why don't we just take a moment to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let us listen for the voice of the Lord and what he's speaking to our heart about today. Would you please close your eyes with me and let's just take a moment in God's presence to listen to what he's saying to us today in Jesus' name.